And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. And I'm telling you, I'm not going on. You show me in my contract where it says that I have to talk about the Giants today. You show me. What do you mean you're reporting? Oh, uh, welcome to episode number 200 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Bagley. Andy, there have been 34 Giants with a career batting average of 200. Uh, We have nothing special planned today except talking about the very bad Giants. Help. (laughs) Well, um. Yeah, you know what? It's in your contract that we have to do this podcast. It really isn't in your contract that we have to talk about the Giants. I mean, we could talk about the 2012 team. Hey, woo! It's been 10 years. We could talk about we could talk about Tim Lincecum. We could talk about any kinds of happy, happy little thoughts. But I do think we should probably touch on the current iteration of the Giants, following the first time they were swept in a four-game series at Dodger Stadium since the first Clinton administration, 1995. Uh, that was uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think I needed to know that. It was, uh, listen, I went into the All-Star break thinking that the Giants, hey, they're on a little bit of a roll. They had some rousing wins against the Brewers. This team isn't that far back from the wild card. And in four games, I feel like I've overcorrected. And I just, I, the article I published today is just a big, bleak ball of misery. And it, it might be reactionary, but those were very bad games and it just showed all the flaws bubbled up to the surface. I know that the Giants aren't necessarily expected to contend for the NL West title this year, uh, but it felt there's a a sense of hopelessness that came out of this weekend. You know, it's funny because one of the games, the Giants were leading in the eighth inning. The next game, it was tied in the eighth inning. The next game, they trailed the whole way, but they got the winning run to the plate in the ninth, nearly came back and had Austin Slater against a lefty. And, and, and he was called out on a pitch that was outside the zone. So, you know, that one turned into a, a competitive game. And then the last game, they were tied in the seventh inning. So when you look at it that way, you think, well, gosh, you know, they, they, they played competitive, tough baseball. But they didn't. They didn't give themselves a chance. They made so many mistakes. And especially when you stack up their outfield defense against the Dodgers outfield defense with Trey Turner sliding all over in foul ground to make catches, Trace Thompson going into the stands to make a catch. And then the Giants are trotting out, you know, a, a portly Jock Peterson and a portlier Yermin Mercedes in left field. I mean, it's just, it's obvious the Giants are just not anywhere close to the Dodgers. And I think your piece, what really is something I've been thinking about lately, and I've used this term, I think, is last year 
was a sand painting. It was a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. It was 107 wins, but it wasn't sustainable. And it's not sustainable now. It feels like they're just um, you know whipping together a meal with whatever's left in the fridge and they are putting together a Michelin star meal, but it doesn't mean you're gonna be fully stocked to make a really good meal the next night. So that's kind of where they are as an organization. Those are solid analogies because it if there are takeaways from the four game series, there are takeaways that affect the entire organizational philosophy, the entire plan going forward, the entire plan going into the season. You have your mean Mercedes out there in left field. Uh, why is he out there? Well, it's because Elliot Ramos uh, hasn't taken that job, hasn't taken a major league spot to be that right-handed hitter who punishes left-handed pitching, who is out there playing center field quality defense in left field. He just can't get on the roster because he's sitting so poorly in Sacramento. So the Giants are scrambling. They have injuries. They're they're stuck saying, okay, well, we can either put Lamont Wade Jr., Mike Yastrzemski, uh, Jock Peterson in the same lineup against Clayton Kershaw, well, that's not ideal, or we can try this. They tried that, and they were rewarded in some ways with a couple of doubles from Mercedes. But at the end, it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not quality. And we start looking at, well, this is how they have to construct their roster because they don't have a Mookie Betts or a Trey Turner. Well, then you start to side-eye the whole thing. And it's just so blaring when it happens against the Dodgers, who are ready to take advantage of any miscue. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, Evan Longoria is out. Brandon Crawford is out. Brandon Belt is a, sort of a shell of himself right now. Kirk Casale is out. Every team has injuries. And the Giants had to know they were going to have more than most teams because they were the oldest position player core in the National League. But you can cover for some flaws. And I think the Giants did an amazing job covering for the flaws they had last year. And they haven't been able to do that. And the Mercedes thing, to me, was a perfect example because, like you said, they made the devil's bargain. They crossed their fingers that he wouldn't bungle anything in the outfield or maybe anything would even be hit to him. And they get something on the offensive side that would make it worth the risk. He had two doubles off Clayton Kershaw. He did what he wanted to do. He came up to bat uh, when they took Kershaw out. They put in a right-handed reliever. And that's when you do your line change. That's when you bring in Mike Yastrzemski. You get a matchup. Uh, you get better defense the rest of the game, but Yastrzemski wasn't available <laughs> because he was banged up too. So, and you could argue that they should have pinch hit Wade anyway in that spot or even Jock, but you know they were thin on the bench and Gabe didn't want to use his bench as aggressively as he normally would. So, and then you end up with your mean Mercedes out there in you know, tootling around in left field. Freddie Freeman hits a fly ball that should be caught, you know, nine times out of ten, maybe ninety-five times out of a hundred. And he, you know, butchers it. There's one of those every game, it seems like. And those innings aren't being minimized. Their flaws aren't being minimized. And that's, especially against the Dodgers, going to totally stick out. And that's why, you know, you come away with such a doomy and gloomy feeling after a series in which, you know, when you break it down, they were in every game. I will say this about the Giants' plan for this season is that they were expecting injuries. They were going into this. There's no way that they were thinking, well, as long as we can get 150 games out of Belt, Crawford, Longoria, you know, we'll all be fine. I think that they had baked in, well, we're probably going to get 100 games from Longoria. We're going to get 100 games from Brandon Belt. We're going to get this. We're going to get that. And they weren't ignoring the idea that they needed depth. They were trying to build depth. They thought, well, Elliot Ramos is going to come up and do some good things. We can do this. We can do that. We've got some waiver claims. None of it's worked, though. They can plan for it, and it's not necessarily like the Giants ignoring that Omer Vizquel needed a, a backup shortstop behind him. But at some point, 
there's just only so much depth that a team can build. Even a smart team, even a proactive team like the Giants, there's only so many good quality major leaguers that any team can have on a 40-man roster at, at one time. And that's what the Giants are running into right now. They just, they've run into their own limitations. I go back and I think about when Joe Panic was a rookie, and he came up kind of out of necessity, out of need. They didn't think he was ready, and he hit 300, and he, you know, played for a winning team, and he helped them, you know, win a World Series, and uh, and he was a number one pick, and maybe he didn't turn into, you know, a superstar or a perennial All Star, you know, but he had a nice career, and and he contributed as a young player coming up through the system, and that's what the Giants, I think, have been missing. You can't plan for every contingency. You've got to rely on your organization at some point, and yeah, whether it's the the big names like Ramos or, or some of the lesser names, we haven't seen sort of the matriculation through the system, and that goes like and you wrote about this the other day. This, that goes for Hunter Bishop, Patrick Bailey, you know, guys who might have some value on the trade market if they were, you know, playing well and hitting and, and showing that they were ready for the next level or, or you know, uh, hitting their way out of, out of one league and into the next. Then the Giants would have more to play with and, 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 and they'd be able to sell you know, a little bit maybe um, higher on those guys. But they just don't have that value from those guys because they're all, they've all been terrible. So it's really hard to see them being able to, to make a meaningful impact on the trade deadline and, you know, part of the reason they are where they are is because they haven't gotten those inputs from people within the system, as you mentioned. And that's one of the reasons why my piece uh, today, we're recording this on Monday. That's one of the reasons why it's so bleak is because it, it forced me to kind of look at, well, what's going right this season? What might be going right into next season? And a huge chunk of what's going right this season has been to this point, uh, Jock Peterson. I know he hasn't been as hot as he was in April uh, and Carlos Rodon. And they're probably not going to be around next season. It got really bleak when it's you're trying to list the players who are going to be absolutely 100% a part of next season. And you think that is going to give the Giants an advantage over most teams. And it's like Logan Webb, Camilo Duvall. You know, you can start hemming and hawing about Sammy Long, uh, Mike Yastrzemski, things like that. But for the most part, it's not a roster that you look at as being fully formed for next season in a way that makes you think the Giants can win 90, 95 games. And it's concerning the minor leagues aren't helping in that same way. And it makes me think, okay, in one sense, oh, sell, sell, sell. The Giants just, they prove that they can't compete with the best teams in baseball, so they should sell. In another way, it's almost like, you have Rodon now. This might be as good as it gets for a while. Maybe there is justification in buttressing what they already have. I still think they're going to have to lose a lot of games between now and August 2nd to actively sell. And you can definitely make the case, and I think you can make a very strong case, that they should sell. That they they need to leverage Rodon. It's probably the most valuable thing they have uh, to try to get more inputs in the system. I still think that they can maybe do a little bit of both and just try to use the trade deadline as a creative exercise, you know, be a third wheel in someone's trade. Take on a contract that, you know, maybe whoever trades for Juan Soto, I, I still don't think he's going to get moved before the deadline. But if someone trades for him and they can give up the prospects, but they don't want to take on, say, the Corbin contract. Have the Giants take on the Corbin contract and get some young players in return. There are a lot of ways that they can think outside the box to improve their, their lot in life here. Any deadline is an action date, and that's it's an opportunity. And I think... Um, whether they operate linearly as buyers or sellers, I still think that it's an opportunity for them to get creative. And frankly, they've been super creative on the waiver claims. They've been super creative on finding and mining talent. 
But those those really creative trades, three team trades, you know, the ones that require a lot of conversation, a lot of kind of um, collaboration. We haven't seen that yet. You know, maybe there's one coming down the pipe. Yeah, the Giants could say at the deadline, they could play around with uh, an idea of, okay, we like John Brebria, we like uh, Harlan Garcia, we like Dominic Leon. But at the same time, if another team really likes them and they're finding that they're they're getting stonewalled with other trading partners, maybe there's a way to shift some of that bullpen to another team. And that would allow the Giants to get, oh, I don't know, Junior Marte, more innings or higher leverage innings, uh, different pitchers that they've had their eye on. Maybe there's a way to sell in that respect while also getting someone who could help the defense. Uh, you had a couple ideas in your uh, article on Sunday. There might be someone who helps the Giants out defensively whether it's in the outfield or the infield, there might be a way to play both sides and not go all in, not go all out, and somehow try and make the team a little bit better and the farm system a little bit better at the same time. I mean, yeah, we might finally have that that major league actual you know trade between the Giants and A's, when we, which we haven't had <laughs> since what was it, Ernie Riles for um, you know Darren Lewis, or was that 1992? Is that the last major league trade that doesn't involve like you know cash considerations or something like that for Sky Bolt? Yeah, no, I, I think it it might involve Darren Lewis. I know that Rod Beck works uh, in there somehow. Yeah, so um, you know Ramon Liriano really does fit uh, for them, and um, he, if Elliot Ramos were hitting, he would be redundant because Elliot Ramos is almost the exact same kind of player. I think Liriano's got a few more defensive gifts uh, than, than Ramos, although Ramos is supposed to be a strong defender too. So yeah, th- who knows? Maybe uh, maybe he'll come sauntering in the Giants clubhouse soon in a week or two. It's something that I've written about. Uh, I don't think I've, I've devoted a full article about, but it's just so hard to fix the Giants defense. It's, it's I see the refrain on Twitter and I empathize with it. I understand it. Uh, fix the Giants defense at the deadline. Fix the Giants defense at the deadline. I just don't know how you do it. You're expecting Brandon Crawford to resume his post at shortstop when he's healthy. You're expecting Brandon Belt to come back and play first base defensively and play a fine first base defensively. You're hoping that Evan Longoria can come back. You have Austin Slater and Mike Jastrzemski in center field. They're not ideal, but they're probably better than expected. And you're not going to sit your corner outfielders. I mean, you're going to maybe sit your mid Mercedes, but you're not going to sit Jock Peterson. You're not going to sit some of the other guys who have struggled out there. I just don't see a quick fix for the defense other than do better. I mean, one thing that they can do is is just, you know, move on from Tommy LaStella, honestly, because when, when LaStella is DHing, that means Jock Peterson's in the outfield. That means that, means that uh, somebody else who's a little more limited that you'd want to DH can't DH. And he's had more DH starts than anybody else on the club. And he's probably coming back pretty soon from his uh, stint on the COVID IL. He's, he's uh, in AAA right now. And I, I think they didn't activate him Sunday because it was Kershaw. And, um, and it's a lefty here in Arizona. But, um, but yeah, come Tuesday, he might be back on this roster. But I, I think that he complicates the problems more than, more than he solves them. Yeah, I never want to write that article as, you know, I'm an, an opinion columnist, but I, I don't want to write this guy should lose his job. I've always felt very uncomfortable about that. But at the same time, it's hard not to look at his position and see how he fits going forward. I know that he's still owed money next year. He is owed, let's see, he's $11.5 million because the back end of that contract is a little fatter than the, the front end. And that's going to hurt to lose, but I just don't see how he fits on this roster, especially, as you say, when he's taking the DH spot away from people who really should be a DH. 
They've got too many DHs. And, you know, Ken Rosenthal had a little nugget in his notes column. I referred to it in my story Sunday that he's hearing that the Giants recognize that this is a real roster construction problem. And they're going to try to maybe shuffle off one of their DH types and, and try to get in somebody who can just allow them to have better configurations. And you're right. There's not a magic one magic guy who can make all the difference. It's a team that gets pretty competitive pitching. They, they made some catastrophic mistakes, I think, in the Dodgers series. You know, Sam Long throws a curveball when all he had to do was throw a fastball up and that at-bat with Bellinger is over instead it's a grand slam. Definitely some questionable pitch calling. you got you got Austin Wins and Joey Bart as your catchers when you had Buster Posey last year. There's going to be a big difference there. And I think that, that that's, uh has a lot to do with, with some of these innings where they make mistakes not being minimized uh, and turning into three, four runs. They definitely can play better, I think, than, than they have. They have swept the Dodgers earlier this year. They they played well against the Brewers. They definitely played very well against the Diamondbacks last year. And, and this is probably where they have to start to turn it around. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One thing that I go back and forth on what I how I perceive the the Giants Dodgers series is that the Dodgers scored so many runs with two outs and I go back and forth between that's not sustainable that's flukish oh my gosh it was uh it was remarkable and then I go to the other side where it's well it's the Dodgers they're going to do things that are remarkable it's just the talent won out but I will say that the uh, streak of 17 straight two-out runs to start the series was a club record for the Dodgers. Uh, that is unbelievable. 21 out of the 25 runs they scored in that series were with two outs. Maybe we're making a little bit too much of that. Maybe that is just one of those things, and it doesn't necessarily speak to the larger talent gap between the two teams. I don't know. I go back and forth. I mean, you know, to quote Ralph Barbieri for the billionth time, two things can be true. <laughs> and you're right. I think um, it, it is pretty remarkable, as, as I mentioned, that, um, you know, the games were on, on the surface competitive. And maybe it's just you're, you're so frustrated because you know that, that the Giants just beat themselves in so many ways. It's also a little bit interesting to see that some of the, how some of the decisions played out. I mean, I wrote about pinch hitting for Brandon Belt. With David VR, who was appearing in his 14th major league game with the game on the line. And you got Brandon Belt coming up uh, facing a lefty, Alex Vessia. It's left on left. You know, Vessia is. I think the move was more about Vessia than it was about Belt. But at the same time, this is the guy who rode in on a boat on opening day into your ballpark. He's your self professed captain. He's a professional hitter. He was only hitting 140 against lefties, but that's in 30 something at bats. He got an 8 something OPS against lefties the year before. 
He has eight walks in 43 plate appearances against lefties. You know he's going to give you a good professional plate appearance regardless. And yeah, he tried to bunt against Fessia the night before. He didn't feel good. They went off of that to make that decision. I just think that's a bad decision. At some point, you know, you don't do this all the time. And I think you do it to your detriment if you do it with a, a group that's limited. But do it, what, what Bruce Bochy would say, which is, I'm rolling my guys out there. They're either going to be good enough or they're not. I think uh, you got to roll Brandon Belt out there. That's who the fans wanted to see. That's who uh, someone on this team that they're invested in emotionally. That's the matchup that they wanted to see. And I'm not saying you make every move for what has the most entertainment value, but you know, I think the way that Gabe Kapler looks at decisions like that, he thinks about, okay, what would the Dodgers least want me to do right there? And he thought that the Dodgers would least want them to counter with VR and get the matchup against the lefty. But sometimes you also have to think about, what does my own clubhouse want me to do? I can't believe there's a person in that clubhouse that wouldn't want to see Brandon Belt in that situation. And that's why, you know, I, I talked to him and I asked him how he felt about it. And he didn't have time be, uh, to talk to me very extensively because it was post-game fireworks day, which I hate post-game fireworks. Um, <laughs> you may love them. Your little Timmy may love them. I hate them, especially when it's Dodger Stadium and there's 50,000 people trying to leave at once. The players all try to, you know, beat the traffic and get out of there. So I wasn't able to get more than two seconds with him. But then he called me. He called me back. He knew that, you know, this was important enough that he didn't want to be sort of distill his thoughts into one soundbite. So and, and he was very professional. He said, look, you know, I want to be out there and I believe I would have come through. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a very good major league player. I thought I was the guy. He didn't. But, you know, I'm confident that if I'm going good and I'm hitting, then it's not going to be a choice for him to make. I'm going to get that opportunity. And that's what I'm determined to do. And that's I think as professional a way as you can you can um, approach something like that. It wears on you. It wears on a team, I think, when they use the process and trust the process over the individual players, and it doesn't work. When it works, it's great. That's what we saw last year. And it's not working as often this year. I will say, just if I'm trying to look at it objectively, the quotes that Brandon Belt gave you and the way he talked about it was as professional as I can ever remember a player in that kind of difficult situation uh, reacting to that. It was smart. It was... Uh, legitimate it was measured it, i don't know i was i was impressed as all heck with what he what, what he told you i mean brandon's a funny guy you know obviously i've covered him his whole career he knows me i know him but yeah even the fact that he would call me back i think was very professional he, he didn't have to do that but yeah you think about him as being just a you know this kind of um guy who's a little bit of sluggish and and you know maybe coasts a little bit or you know has the body language he's, he's fought his body language forever people trying to interpret it in different ways but you know I, I think he's really come a long way in terms of how he conducts himself as a professional what he knows he needs to really do to get ready and what is eyewash and really just trusting himself and I think that this coaching staff has been good for him because they really trust him they love his approach and they've told him that and um, you know I think it's 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 allowed him to double down on the belief that he's going to do things the right way, whether it's how he approaches the strike zone or how he approaches, you know, facing a pitcher or just, you know, what he does to get ready on a day-to-day -day basis. All that said, he's in his mid-30s. He's had chronic knee problems. His body's breaking down in a lot of ways. And it's tough, man. It's, it's, I, I remember Ned Coletti once told me, when you get a really good star player, they're good five days a week. Then they get a little older in their career and they're good four days a week. Then it's three, then it's two, then it's one. And by that time, they're out of the league. 
And, and a lot of it is you're fighting so many things to try to stay healthy and, 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 and trying to comp, uh, deal with so many things that might be compromising your ability to perform. You finally get good, you feel good, and then you know you run down the line and something else blows out. And that's what Evan Longoria is dealing with right now. That's what Brandon Crawford's dealing with right now. That's what Brandon Belt's dealing with right now. It's tough to watch. And, you know, it happens to everyone, even the best of them. I can tell that I'm getting older because I'm starting to look at all of this and wonder about the intangibles. Uh, it's I'm not as stridently, well, this is what the numbers say and, and this is what that, because I'm looking at what the Giants are doing and trying to do with their lineup and with their positions. Uh, and it just feels like they're unable to get a rhythm. Can you really blame Lamont Wade Jr. for uh, booting a ball at first base? He's not really a first baseman. And how often does he play there? It's asking a lot for him to go out there. Can you really blame your mean Mercedes for, for going out there and taking a weird route? No, he's, he's not supposed to be in left field. And even if he were, even if he had a lot of experience, there's no way to get rhythm. And I wonder about the defensive rhythm. I wonder about the offensive rhythm because generally pinch hitters hit worse than the team overall. That's every year for almost every team. And I wonder about... Just rhythm and being uh, prepared. And I know that you can be mentally prepared as well as you can to come in the eighth inning and take one at bat, but it, it can't be easy. And I wonder if the Giants are just taking a lot of these players out of their rhythm. Well, and, you know, I think there's a lot to that. And I think the other aspect that's really important is when it's not working, it's not working because, you know, you're not getting Brandon Belt didn't have Darren Ruff pinch it for him. He would have been fine with that. I guarantee you. Uh, it was somebody who, and this is no disrespect to David VR. He's got a lot of power potential. He deserves to be here with what he's done in the minors. He's a guy who deserves to get a legitimate look, and he's got some power. It's his 14th major league game. He hasn't been in that situation in the big leagues. He hadn't gotten in a bat in the second half yet, and he hadn't really experienced Dodger Stadium, all of that. So that's who they chose over Brandon Belt. It wasn't Darren Ruff. You know, when you're a Lamont Way Jr., let's say, and you think you should be getting some chances against lefties. Well, the Giants rolled out a lineup that had Austin Wins as the DH. And if you're Lamont Wade Jr., and again, no disrespect to Austin Wins, uh, but he was a AAA catcher. He's not here for his offense at all. And if you're Wade, you might be sitting there. And again, I, this, I'm totally, I'm not speculating. I'm just throwing this out as a hypothetical that he could you know, be like, well, why not me? Why not me against the lefty? I mean, really. So a lot of it boils down to, okay, I'm not getting this opportunity. I can understand this. This guy, other guy is demonstrably better than me in that situation. When that's not the case, then comes the grumbling. Then comes the second guessing. And I, I think that the Giants have kept it you know, pretty, pretty solid. But And you're always going to have situations where you disagree with what your boss does in every work environment. So I try not to make too much of that, you know. I don't know if there's anything really to, to be super concerned about at this point with like Gabe Kapler's lost the clubhouse, but it's been a tougher room to manage this year because um, there are guys who probably have, have a, every right to be a little bit upset with how they're being used. I think that the number one problem with this roster right now is that I'm just looking at the players currently on the active roster and on the IL 
and I'm not seeing a single one where you want them in against lefties and righties. They've tried. They tried to uh, get Darren Ruff in there a lot more against right-handed pitching. Tyra Estrada is in there against right-handed pitching. And if I remember correctly, I think he has reverse platoon splits. But there's not that Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. And I get that those are all-star players, MVP caliber players, perhaps on a Hall of Fame path. But... The Giants don't have anything like that. And when you're trying to build a roster out of players that you don't want to play half the time, that's rough. It is. It's Darren Pun rough. not intended. Pun right. not intended. Damn it. I keep doing that. I mean, you can't help but have some confidence chipped away when when you're being told. And, and I know Gabe Kapler has tried to re- reframe the whole thing and say, we're not pinch hitting for this guy. We're pinch hitting with this other guy who we think is really good. But, you know, their depth has been challenged by the injuries. And pinch hitting with... The next guy has not necessarily worked out and hasn't necessarily been a move with somebody who has a track record of as much success. So the scheme worked so well last year. It just worked perfectly. It spun like a top all year long. You know, when it doesn't work, you you question it. And it's, it's just the same thing for a team that uses openers, right? Uh, it's like, well, we use openers because we think that's the best strategy to win games. Well, yeah, but that's within the context of your personnel. You know, if you have five Cy Young Award winners in your rotation, you're not going to use an opener. And every team would rather have those five Cy Young Award winners. Every team would rather have the everyday players where you didn't have to look at Freddie Freeman's matchup splits to decide who your first baseman was going to be that day. And the Giants, I think, are are not even close to being there. And the Dodgers are basically 100% there. When you watch that over four games... I don't blame Giants fans for being like, what happened? What's what's going on here? What, where, where are our star players? I'm tempted to go back to read what I wrote and tweeted when it became clear that the Red Sox actually would trade Mookie Betts. And I, I just wonder if that was the chance, if that was at the time, if the Giants could uh, push control Z and go back in time, uh, that would be the place to step in and take their shot. Because I, you know, Juan Soto is a little fun to talk about, but I'm not sure how realistic it is. And I just don't see another player coming down the pike where it's going to make that kind of difference. Yeah, I mean, Shohei Otani, <laughs> right? I don't know if you can trade for him, but... Um... You know, he will be a free agent before too long. Talk about a guy who can capture the marketplace. I mean, wow. Uh, That would be kind of the sort of the ideal scenario. Did you know that he pitches and hits? What? You're kidding. Yeah. Really? It's amazing. Two roster spots for one. I think the Giants should go get him. But surely he's not like one of the best in baseball (laughs) at both of those skills. Yeah. Well, you know, he must be a sloth. That must be. He must be unplayable uh, as far as a base runner, right? I feel bad. I feel like we've just very much just pounded our fists on the table for 30 minutes in this podcast, and now it's over. We haven't had as much fun this time. Yeah, I don't think that's on us, buddy. I just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's something that, that we can be feel responsible for. I will say I tried to, at the end of my bleak uh, uh, dystopian look at what the Giants are doing, look, they're still X number of games out of the wild card on any given day. They've still won more games than they've lost. They've still, their Pythagorean record, I know people don't care about that nerd stuff, but it says that they've scored more runs than their opponents, which is important. They still have a, a pair of co-aces that give them them any chance in a short series. I don't think this is necessarily time to blow everything up. Boy, that was an ugly series, though. So I, I just I don't know how else to go about it. Well, you know what? If you want just a, something to just make you just snort coke out your nose, 
Think about this. We've talked about Ramon Laureano as a guy who could fit. There's another guy out there who's an outfielder, who's right-handed, who's a good defender, who's definitely available in the trade market. Tommy Pham, San Francisco Giant. Just imagine it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great fit. It's a, it's a great fit for me because I live and die by the content. Hashtag content. All right. This has been episode 200 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back uh, on Thursday, and then we'll really know if the Giants should sell or buy at the deadline. No, we won't really know, but we'll do our best to guess. So we will see you then, and thanks for listening. Nothing but a G-thang. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.